I want to talk to you tonight about your job, and I want to tell you right off the top, I think you can do better than you've been doing on your job. Now, what about that? You know, someone says, wow, that's pretty presumptuous of a preacher. How does he know how I do on the job, and how can he possibly think that he knows that I should do better? Monty might even object. He hadn't even started his job yet. He starts a new job tomorrow. But I would say, even to Monty, he can do better. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is that I'm not talking about the job you work Monday through Friday or whenever it is that your shift is on your workday job. I'm not talking about that job. I'm talking about the job that you have and the job that I have, the job that all of us have as Christians, our job of sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with the lost people in the world around us. That's the job I'm talking about. And as I said, you can do better. I can do better. We can all improve in this important assignment that we have to tell others about Jesus. And we need to be doing better. We need to really work at that. Now, I'm basing the lesson tonight on the assumption that all of us who are Christians already understand that we have this assignment, that it is our responsibility. I hope that there would be no argument about it. If we need to, we can back up and prove that you are required to do so as a Christian. Share your faith with other people. That is your job. I don't think we have to prove that. I think that we all understand how that is, in fact, our responsibility. So we just want to talk about how to do it better. I don't know of any place that we could look to uh, for lessons in doing this work than to look to Jesus himself. Jesus was the master teacher. And so if we can look at his methods, see the procedures that he followed, and if we imitate them, we would be doing well. We're going to look tonight for a few minutes at the teaching methods and manners of Jesus. We want to examine them to see how he did that important work. We're going to be using John chapter 4 as our text. Joseph introduced that when he read just a few minutes ago from those verses that said Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And while he was in Samaria, he talked to the woman at the well. And we're going to use that chapter. John chapter 4 is our place wherein we will examine the teaching methods of Jesus. Let me stop here for a minute to say thank you for being present tonight for this Sunday evening assembly. We're glad that you're here, and we appreciate your presence very much. We have visitors. We want our visitors to feel welcome. We hope you'll come back every time you have a chance to do so. Some of you know that this weekend I was a participant in a special series of lessons down in Lewisburg at the Hickory Heights Congregation, and this was one of the appointed topics that I was to preach on, the teaching methods of Jesus. And so I dug out some old notes, and some of you may recognize some of this. I dug out some old notes from John chapter 4 wherein Jesus talked to that woman at the well. And I think we see some great pointers from him as to how we should approach others when we're trying to teach them uh, necessary things about what a person must do to be saved. And so we're going to be looking at those teaching methods of Jesus from John 4. Mike, Mike mentioned, I don't know that everyone knows this, I don't think so, uh, but we have another bit of good news to report today. I understand that Garrett Smith was baptized this afternoon, and so we're excited to report that and certainly commend his decision. He's another one that we draw encouragement from. We need to be praying for him and for all of our young people as they live their lives serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're very excited to report that about Garrett. Let's go to John chapter 4. 
As I said, turn your Bibles to that text because we're going to just be spending all of our time tonight in John chapter 4. We won't go anyplace else. You won't have to flip around through your Scriptures to find references. We'll just stay here in John chapter 4. And let's begin reading in John chapter 4, verse 3. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Let's stop right there for a minute, and let's imagine that we have the opportunity to ask Jesus some questions about how to do this work of teaching other people. And, and we can wonder, but I think the answers are obvious. How would Jesus answer if we could ask him, Jesus, where should we attempt to teach people? In what kind of a setting, what kind of a situation should we be looking for? I think that there are some perfect, ideal places for us to try to teach people. For instance, this building constitutes a really great place to teach people. You know, we've got this building set up specifically so that it is effective as a place to do teaching. We've got this big room where lots of people can assemble. Uh, we've got a projector system and all of that to try to accommodate teaching efforts. We've got classrooms where we can divide up into age-appropriate groupings and teach Bible in those settings. This building is a great place to teach people from the Bible. But there's a problem with that. And I think you know what the problem is. It's hard to get people to come anymore, isn't it? We invite people. We try to get them to come to services with us. Uh, if we have a gospel meeting, as we had last week, we talk to some of our friends and neighbors and co-workers, invite them to come to the gospel meeting. But it is harder and harder to get people to come. Years ago, when gospel meetings were held, you could invite and lots of people would come. But those days are past, and it's harder and harder to get people to come here to be taught the Word of God. I'll tell you another great place to teach someone from the Bible is around a kitchen table. I don't know why, but I think a kitchen table is just a really great place to study the Bible. And if you can get around a kitchen table with your Bibles open, you can do a lot of good studying from the Word of God. I don't care if that kitchen table is at my house or at the other person's house. If you can get in that situation, that's a great place to teach the Bible. But I want to tell you, again, unfortunately, it's harder and harder to set up those home Bible studies. We would love to have lots more of those, but anymore, it's very hard to get people to agree. They won't invite you into their house, and they most often won't accept an invitation to come to your house to study the Bible. And so, although we'd like to get around kitchen tables more often, it's harder and harder to do so. So what would Jesus say? What would Jesus say when we would ask, where should we attempt to teach people I believe Jesus would answer, don't wait for those perfect situations. Just do it anywhere you can. Look at this situation. Here Jesus was at this well. This was a busy place. This was not a likely spot to engage someone in a religious discussion. This was a busy place. Uh, people coming and going to draw water. This was a well that had been there for a long time. It was a reliable source of water, which was a very important thing in those times. People coming and going from there didn't come there just to waste away the hours of the day. This woman wasn't there just to idly pass away time. She was there on a mission. 
She'd come to draw water, to take it home, to do necessary things for her household chores, cooking, other necessities that needed water. She wasn't there with nothing to do. She was there on a mission. This was not, I'm just saying all that to say, this was not a likely place. This wasn't a perfect setting. And yet, I believe what we see here is that Jesus recognized this to almost certainly be the only opportunity he would ever have to reach out to that woman. And so he seized upon the opportunity. And so in answer to the question, Jesus, where should we attempt to teach people? I think Jesus would definitely say, you do that anywhere. Don't wait for just a perfect situation. Do it anywhere you can. Jesus, if we could ask, imagine we could ask Jesus these questions. Jesus, when should we try to teach people? You know, I'm afraid that we have fallen maybe into the way of thinking that suggests everything has to be just right, just perfect, before we can do a little of this, what do we call it, personal evangelism? One of the things we do here at College View, all of you who remember here know well, we've got the congregation divided up into four groups, and every Sunday one of those groups meet. We have assignments that we give out, you know. Uh, could you contact so-and-so? Could you call this person? Could you go and see that person? And so we, we get it all organized, you know, and we hand out a few assignments, and maybe we have deceived ourselves into thinking that's the only time when we do this kind of work of talking to other people, reaching out. I want to tell you, I think organized efforts like those group meetings and so forth are good, but we, we, are, we are making a big mistake if we think that's the only time that we could or should do some of this sort of work. We ought to do it whenever we can. I want you to notice this. In the verses that we just read, I want you to notice what it was like for Jesus right then, right there. It says that Jesus was wearied with his journey in verse 6. And then notice in verse 7, he asked the woman to give him something to drink. Apparently he was thirsty. And then in verse 8, it says that his disciples had gone into town to buy something to eat. So here's Jesus. He's been on a long journey. He's traveling by foot. He's tired. It says he's weird. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's hungry. What would you say? I'd say, man, this is not a good time for me. You know, I know I probably should talk to someone about God, but this is not a great time for me. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Maybe, maybe later. Maybe after I get a chance to rest up a little bit. Maybe at a different time I might try it, but not right now. Of course, that was not Jesus' approach. And from his actions here, we know that he would answer, don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait till you're feeling on top of the world. Don't wait until everything is in place and, and all is in order. Anywhere you are and any time you have a chance to talk to someone, you do it. All right? I think that's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it? What if we could ask Jesus this? Who should we try to teach? Who should we try to teach? Right here, uh, I confess to a problem that I have. I've talked about this before and I think you agree with me. Maybe lots of us, maybe all of us have the tendency to try to prejudge people as to how they would react to the gospel if we attempted to teach them, you know. Here's this guy that I've been knowing for a long time, say. He's, he, I've worked with him on the job for several years. But I'll tell you, he's a rough cut guy, you know. He curses and swears. I know that he's a drinker and a gambler. 
uh, he's just he's just really a rough guy. And I want to tell you, I just don't think there's any reason to try and talk to him about the gospel because he wouldn't listen even if I tried. So I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to waste my... I'd just be wasting my breath to talk to a guy like that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever made that kind of predetermination as to whether someone would hear the gospel or not? I think we all do that sometimes. I think that's a mistake. And I think we need to get past that. Think about... In the New Testament, think about some of the people who became some of the greatest disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about Peter? And for that matter, his brother Andrew and their fishing partners James and John. Fishermen. They were just simple, uneducated fishermen. Would you choose them if you were trying to select a handful of men who would be your most important uh, spreaders of the Word? I don't know if that's the correct way to put it. You're going to pick some men, and they're going to be the ones principally charged with taking your message to the whole world. Would you choose Peter, Andrew, James, and John, just these uneducated fishermen? Or or how about Matthew? Would you choose Matthew? What was Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. And the Jews hated the tax collectors. Would you choose Matthew? If you're trying to choose some men who could be effective workers in your in your cause. Probably not, but look what became of Matthew. How about maybe the ultimate one? What about Saul of Tarsus? Would you would you choose Saul of Tarsus? I, I think most of us say, are you kidding? No way. Look what he was doing. When Jesus called him, what was he doing? He was actively persecuting Christians. And yet the Lord called him, and look how effective he was able to be used in the kingdom. Here's an interesting one. What about Luke? Would you choose Luke? What was Luke? Luke was a physician, right? A doctor. Would you think about trying to invite your doctor to have a Bible study with you or to attend services with you or come to a gospel meeting with you? I think most of us would say, oh, no, not my doctor. Now, my doctor, he's very, very busy. He's got way too much going on. My doctor would not be interested in having a Bible study with me. And so what happens? We don't talk to people like that, right? We, don't, we never try to share the message with them. We, we, and what I'm saying is this is a problem. We, we try to prejudge these people, and then based upon what we think their reaction would be, we either do or don't. Most often we don't do anything because we don't think they'd be receptive. That's a mistake. We need to quit doing that. I confess I need to quit doing that. We need to move past that. Well, look at the example of Jesus here. Jesus talked to this Samaritan woman at the well. Now think about that. A Samaritan woman. She's a woman. I think it's interesting that three times in verses 7 through 9, it is mentioned that she's a woman of Samaria. Strike one, she's a woman. As you well know, uh, in the culture of that day, women were sort of considered second class or not as deserving. That's not to say it was right, but that's the way it was. In that culture, strike one against her was she was a woman. Strike two against her was she was a Samaritan. And the Jews, there was great ethnic uh, animosity between the Jews and the, and the uh, Samaritans. This woman was a Samaritan. And, and yet Jesus spoke to her. She, had, she was not a likely prospect. That's what we're saying. In fact, if you want to see how surprising it is that Jesus spoke to her, skip ahead to verse 27 there. In John 4, verse 27, it says, Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? His disciples were even amazed. 
that he would talk to her. And so, how would Jesus answer this question? Who should we try to teach? I'm sure that Jesus' answer to that question is we should try to teach anybody we can. Don't try to prejudge our candidates. Don't try to make up your mind for them as to how they would react. You just teach them. Teach anybody that you can. So, Jesus would tell us anywhere you are, anytime, teach anybody you can the gospel. Don't you agree with me? Those would certainly be His answers. Finally, this question. Well, if we could ask Jesus, we would say, how should we do our teaching? And I believe his response to that question would be, not any how. Do you understand how I'm using the expression, any how? Jesus would say, don't just go about this in a very haphazard method. Don't be careless in your, in your using of these opportunities. Do your best work. Be efficient. Do it well. Jesus would say, anywhere, anytime, anybody, but not just anyhow. And so let's keep reading here in John chapter 4 and observe his teaching methods. Let's continue reading in John chapter 4 at verse 10. John 4 verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto the woman, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Let's stop there again to comment about the methodology of Jesus. Now, this is, this is what we really need to pay attention to. How did Jesus do his teaching work? Well, the first thing that I would point out from these verses that we just read is that Jesus began informally and tactfully. First of all, think about how he began this discussion. He began in an informal way and quickly was able to turn the conversation into a discussion about spiritual matters. Here they were at a well, water. That's what the woman had come for, to draw water. And so Jesus took the concept of this physical water at this physical well and immediately got the conversation turned over to a discussion about spiritual things. I think that's interesting, that Jesus could turn that conversation and get the woman into a discussion about God. You know, we are skilled conversationalists. I don't know if you know that or not. But all of us are. It's really interesting. If you, if sometime when we're all getting together as we're coming into an assembly like tonight, just step back for a minute and just listen. And there'll be 20 or 30 conversations going on simultaneously. And we, we love to talk, don't we? And we can talk about everything, anything. We're knowledgeable conversants about a whole lot of things. For instance, weather. How often do we talk about the weather? And we don't just talk about the weather, we even analyze it, don't we? We don't about the low pressure and the high pressure and the jet stream. And We know all about the weather and the long-range forecast. We can talk weather. And sports, well, of course we're going to talk about sports. The big UT game yesterday, although it was a very much of a disaster. You know? Mike, don't talk about that. We can talk about the ball game. We know all the details and the stats. We know what they should have done that they didn't do. You know, We know football. 
politics, I'll tell you, do not get me started on politics. We won't get done tonight if we start talking politics. There's so much to talk. And we know about politics. We can talk knowledgeably about politics. We like to talk about those things. But what about religion? For some reason, we're shy to talk about religion, aren't we? We'll bring up conversations. We'll initiate conversations with people about a whole host of subjects. But for some reason, we don't want to talk about Jesus. And that's a mistake. And we need to change from that. Did you see how Jesus was able to turn this conversation into a discussion about God? Now, I'm not saying that we need to do that in every conversation that we have. But we need to work on developing a skill so that when, it, when, it, when the time is right, we can. And the time is right a lot more than we allow. When, it, when the opportunity presents itself, we need to be able to, to, to move a conversation into a discussion about important spiritual things. We need to work on developing that skill. Jesus was very skillful in that. And we see it here in this example with the Samaritan woman at the well. I'll tell you something else that he did. And I mentioned it here. Not only did he begin informally, but he also began tactfully with the woman. Now, we're going to see here in a minute that this woman, as you well know, she had a real problem with immorality in her life. She had lived a wicked, immoral life. She, her life was a mess. Jesus could have started out this way. Woman, I know you, and I know how horrible your life has been. I know all the terrible sins that you've committed. I know just what a wretched, miserable, awful person you are. And I want to tell you, if you don't repent, you're going to go straight to hell and burn forever. Now, my question to you is, could he have started out that way? And the answer is, yeah, he could have. The follow-up question is, if he had started out that way, do you think that he would have any ongoing opportunity to discuss things with her? No, right? He would, have, he would have ruined that opportunity before he even got started. I'm suggesting that we need to learn that lesson too, that we need to be tactful in our approach to people. Uh, and, and unfortunately, members of the Church of Christ have not always had the reputation of being tactful in our approach to people. We need to be tactful. And, and so be sure we're doing that. Yes, initiate those conversations and do so often. And do it tactfully as you begin. Something else that I see here in these verses that we just read, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the importance of the work that Jesus was doing, but I would suggest to you that Jesus demonstrated the characteristics of, for want of a better word, I'm going to say he demonstrated the characteristics of a good salesman. Did you notice how quickly he had the woman asking for more information? I mean, almost immediately by the way he approached her, he had her asking, tell me more. I need to have more information about that. And so he was very good at presenting this in a way that the woman was desirous of learning more about it. Now, we don't always do that, but a good salesman does that with his product, right? We're familiar with good salesmen. I've used this illustration before, maybe you remember it. What about a car salesman? Let's say that you're driving an old beat-up car that is just literally on its last legs. It is just about to give up. Uh, all four corners are crushed in. The engine is blowing blue smoke. It just barely will run. And so you realize that you've got to do something about a car. You don't really want to, you know. You don't have a lot of money to spend on a car, but you're going to have to get a better car. 
And so you head out one day. You go down to that stretch down there on Carmack, down there where Joanne works. You head down on that stretch on Carmack where all the used car lots are lined up, you know. And so you pull into one. Maybe you pull into that one where Joanne works sometimes. And just as you're pulling into the lot, the thing's barely running anyway, but just as you pull into the lot, the thing just, you know, and it stops, and blue smoke blows out from underneath the hood, and that may, in fact, have been the end. You know, it, it, there's, a, there's a high potential that the thing won't make it another block. At the back of the lot back there, at, in a trailer they're using as an office for the used car lot, out steps a guy. He's got on a red blazer and white pants and a grin that goes literally from ear to ear. What's this guy so happy about anyway? Why is he grinning like that? Well, because he's a salesman. He's a car salesman, in fact. And he saw what you just drove on to his lot, and he's happy about that. Because he knows that you desperately need what he has. And you're not going to leave there till you're driving one of his cars. He's happy. He's a salesman. This is what he lives for. This is exactly the situation he was looking for. He was hoping that would happen today. And you're there, and he's going to sell you a car. He's a salesman. Now, I want to contrast that with what we do. What we do. We've got a gospel meeting coming up. Oh, man. You know, they printed some flyers for us to use and invite other people. Oh, I would just rather take a beating than do this, but I, I know I should. I, got, I picked up a few of those flyers, and I'm going to try to talk to some people. Try to. Oh, man, I don't want to do this. But I'm going to go up and down my street, and I'm going to knock on a few doors, and I'm going to see if I can invite some people to the gospel meeting. Although, I'll tell you, I really, really don't want to do this. And so I get my flyers and I start down the street. And I get to the first house and I tippy-toe up on the porch because what I'm really hoping is I can get on the porch, stick my flyer in between the storm door and the other door, and get out of there before I have to talk to anybody. You know, that's what I'm hoping for. And so I tippy-toe up on the porch and I just very faintly knock on the front door. But the door flies open. And there's a great big fella. He has no shirt on. He's got a smoking cigar in one hand and an open can of beer in the other one. He said, what do you want? Oh, well, well, oh. We're, we're having a gospel meeting over at the Church of Christ. I, I don't guess you'd be interested in coming, would you? No, he says, and he slams the door shut. And we imagine that we have done our job, right? We have done our job. No, we haven't done our job. Here's a guy who apparently desperately needs what we have. We know about salvation in Christ Jesus. This guy needs to learn that. We have what he needs. But instead of being happy with the opportunity to confront him with that message, we act like maybe we've got a communicable disease and people probably should stay away from us lest they catch what we've got. We just go about it wrong. Jesus was excited with the opportunity to teach this woman. He was a good salesman. And we need to imitate his example. Uh, I hope you understand again how I'm using that term salesman. I don't want to diminish this. This is a lot more important than selling cars or anything else. But I hope you understand what I mean by that. Let's quickly, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, let's quickly read a little bit further here in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, 
Again, reading verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Stop there to make one observation. And the observation is this. Jesus did not avoid the subject of sin with this woman. In fact, he brought it up, didn't he? And he knew that he was bringing it up when he told her, go call your husband. Now, Jesus had divine insights into the life of this woman. He knew what her problem was. We don't have those same kind of divine insights, but most often we don't need them, right? We know the people around us. We know the people we work with, our neighbors, our friends, even our own family members who are lost in sin. We cannot hide the subject of sin We need to deal with it. We need to get people to see how awful sin is and what the terrible consequences are if they don't get a remedy for their sins. And so we should not avoid the subject of sin. Too many people are doing that. Most religious bodies these days won't even talk about sin. They don't ever even bring it up. And I'm afraid to say that some of our own brethren are doing the same thing. They are not dealing with sin, its horribleness, and its terrible consequences. Well... Why would a lost person want to be saved if they're not even convinced they're lost, right? We've got to convince lost sinners of their lost condition. We cannot avoid talking about sin. Jesus did not avoid that subject. Let's keep reading in verse 20. She says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I that speak unto thee am He. A couple of things I want you to notice from these verses. The first of them is that Jesus did not compromise the truth with this woman. She asked him a question that was a big question. The Samaritans, as I mentioned earlier, the Samaritans had great ethnic animosity with the Jews. It went back centuries in their history. And, but the Samaritans had tried to imitate the worship of the Jews. But they weren't, they weren't welcome in Jerusalem. They couldn't go up to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. And so they had tried to set up a place of worship there in Samaria at Mount Gerizim. When she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, I've never been there, but I understand the geography of the place. It is likely that you could see Mount Gerizim for where she was talking to Jesus. And she may very well have pointed and said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, not Gerizim. But you Jews say you've got to go up to Jerusalem to worship. And I just wonder, what is, what's the truth on that? That was a big issue to her, obviously. It's not a big issue to us, but it was a big issue in her mind. I want you to notice what Jesus did here. He did not compromise the truth on that subject. The fact of the matter was that in that time, well, under that dispensation of time, Jerusalem was the right place to worship, right? And so uh, he, he did not compromise with her by saying, oh, listen, don't worry about it. Don't worry. You can worship anywhere you want. You can do anything you want. Just as long as you've got a good, sincere heart, God will accept 
your worship wherever and in whatever form you want to offer. Just do whatever you want. Just do it sincerely. Jesus did not say that. He did not compromise with her on that subject. But I tell you, the closely associated point and necessary one is that he didn't get sidetracked on that subject either. He didn't, he, he didn't let the whole conversation derail on the question that she had asked him because there was a number of other, there were a number of other things that she needed to know before she'd probably, properly understand the answer to the question that she had asked. And so he didn't compromise, but he didn't let the discussion get off track on that subject either. Let me see if I can ex- explain a modern day parallel to that. You're not going to be asked about mountain gearism, obviously. But I'll tell you some questions that will come up. Let's see. You're members of the Church of Christ, huh? Church of Christ? I've heard about you people in the Church of Christ. When people find out we're members of the Church of Christ, we've talked about this before, what are almost certainly one of two questions they're going to ask us? One they're going to say is, I've often heard that you all don't have instrumental music in your worship, and I wonder why. Or, you know the second one, don't you? You Church of Christ people, is it true that you really think you're the only ones going to heaven? I've heard that about you. Is that true? You really think you're the only ones going to heaven? Now, what about that? Well, there are good answers to both those questions, right? There are good and important answers to both of those questions. But typically, when we're just beginning to have conversation with someone, they're not prepared to receive the answers to those questions, right? We need to lay some groundwork. There's some fundamentals that have to be in place. We've got to get them grounded on the concepts of Bible authority. And how do we go to the Scriptures and find from the Scriptures what God wants us to do? There are answers, but we've got to lay some groundwork first before those people can receive those answers. So what would we do? Do just what Jesus did. Don't compromise on the matter, but don't let the discussion get sidetracked on those matters either. Jesus really provided an excellent example there that I think we should imitate. All right. So the immediate discussion with the woman ends at that point. But think about the great lessons we learned from Jesus about the methods that he employed. Real quickly, before our time is up, we want to hurry to make a couple of other observations from John 4. Jesus says, teach anywhere, anytime, anybody, but not just anyhow. Let's look at the results of what happened here in the case of Jesus and the woman at the well. Look at verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Skip down to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on the woman, or believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. How would you characterize what happened in Samaria? Would it be fair to use this term, chain reaction? A chain reaction happened, right? Sometimes when we hear of chain reactions, we think bad. You know, sometimes you hear about a chain reaction on an interstate highway under foggy conditions, maybe, or icy conditions. One car crashes into another, and before everybody can get stopped, maybe several more cars have piled into the collision area, and it's a chain reaction. That's a bad thing. But this is a good thing, right? A good chain reaction happened. 
Think of the situation. Here's Jesus at an unlikely spot, at an unlikely time, and toward an unlikely candidate. Jesus took an opportunity to speak to this person. One person speaking to one. And because he did that, this thing... Well, here's another expression we could use. It snowballed, right? Uh, or another expression, it mushroomed. Think about what happened. Because Jesus took the opportunity to talk to that woman at the well, many in the city of Samaria came to believe in Jesus Christ. But it happened because one person spoke to one other person. I want to tell you, that kind of chain reaction can still happen in this world. And we need to be setting off some chain reactions here in Columbia. We need to get the chain reaction going. We get, need to get the snowball rolling. We need to get it started. How does it start? Well, we could announce a gospel meeting. We just had a gospel meeting last week. And we could announce a gospel meeting and hope that the place would just overflow with people who are coming in uh, to the gospel meeting. Is that going to happen? Well, our experience tells us probably not. We'd love it, but it's probably not going to happen. How's it going to happen more than likely? One person teaching one. One, talking to one. And then who knows where that could go. We, we've used this concept many times in the past, but just think of it again. If all of us here made up our mind that within the next 12 months, we would do our best to convert just one person. You know, when you think about that, 12 months to convert just one person, that doesn't seem like such an overwhelming challenge, does it? That seems like that ought to be doable you got 12 months. And you know a whole lot of people who are lost in sin. In 12 months, just convert one. Well, if we did that, what would be the case a year from now? We'd have twice as many people here, right? The place would be filling up. What if you did it a second year? Everybody, one. you got 12 months. One, convert one. In two years, we'd have four times as many people. We would have seats out in the aisles. We'd have trouble parking all the cars in the lot it'd be overwhelming. What if we decided to do that just for a third year? Third year, we'll try it one more time. Let's do it again. And one person convert one. Everybody convert one. In three years, there'd be eight times as many people here. In fact, we could not hold the crowd. That'd be a great problem to have, wouldn't it? What would it take to get there? Well, a chain reaction. How's the chain reaction get started? One reach one. And the ball starts rolling. We can do that. We need to do that. We need to accept the challenge to try and do that. We need to get that chain reaction started. Quickly, one other thing about this story with Jesus. Do you remember we said at the outset of this story, Jesus had, had sat down at the well. He was tired, thirsty, and hungry. Tired, thirsty, and hungry. But notice in verse 30, 31, the woman had left to go back into town. Verse 31, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I, I think that's one of the almost comical passages of Scripture. It seems kind of funny to me. His, his disciples say, Here, Master, have something to eat. They, and he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And they said, Yeah, somebody beat us to it. We went all the way to town to buy something to eat before we could get back. Somebody fed him something. No. That's not what happened, right? Jesus started out this story tired, thirsty, and hungry. He certainly hasn't rested because he spent the whole time talking to this woman. I don't know that he ever even got that drink of water. The passage doesn't indicate that he, that he even got the drink of water he asked for. We know he hasn't had anything to eat. But now, what happened? Jesus is refreshed. What refreshed him? He got busy doing the work of God, right? 
He got busy doing God's work. Sometimes we get tired and discouraged. Sometimes we get down. That's, that's normal. It happens to everyone. What's a great solution to those times when we're down and low? We need to get busy doing God's work. It will refresh us when we do. Jesus was refreshed. And so finally, the, the story here in John chapter 4 sort of concludes with a challenge that Jesus put before his disciples and he puts before us. In verse 35, John 4, 35, he says, Say not ye, there yet four months, then come with the harvest. He says, Is this not what you say? The harvest is still off in the future. It's still four months before it's harvest time. Jesus said, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. That's what we need to do. We need to lift up our eyes and look. The, the fields are white unto harvest. There are people all around us who need to learn about salvation through Christ Jesus. Lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white unto harvest. Thanks for your good attention to what we had to say, and I hope that it serves to motivate all of us to do our job better. Our job is to share the gospel with others. We can do better. And I hope we'll all make it a point to try harder to do this important work. Thanks for listening tonight. We're going to end with a song of invitation. Our purpose will be to encourage everyone to be sure your life is right with God. If you're not yet a Christian, that simple gospel plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, it's very easy to understand. If you're ready to obey, we're ready to assist you. If you need more study, say so, and we'll be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've slipped away, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing.